0: Welcome back to Play Tessie. If you're listening on Drop Day, it is February 26th, and this is Episode 44, the Kyle Bearclaw episode. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, fine, fine, fine. I got workman. another one. For, I got another one for you. One, one that one that you guys will like more. The Vicente Padilla episode. Yeah, uh, Padilla, Workman, Jake What are we doing here? Jake pv Could be, but like, I mean, Vicente,
1: you can't get better than Padilla. Wasn't Jackie 44 when he came up? Like his rookie, his
0: prospect. I think you're right. I I think you might be right. I want to say that I saw that, but I I can't confirm. But it looks right. It feels right. But (sighs) this is the official podcast of playing literal baseball games, which happened twice today as we record. So that's freaking cool. Also known as the official Red Sox podcast of WEI. Before we get going, just remember, hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button. Odyssey app, Apple, Spotify, hit us up on YouTube. We got a play Tessie playlist in the WEI page. So hit us up there and hit that thumbs up button. Drop a comment. Helps us out a lot. And obviously subscribing helps you out a lot. Coop's got Jackie Bradley up here. Yes. Number 44.
1: Oh Sammy. my God. dude! If my brain could do this for stuff that actually matters in real life, I would be like a, a billionaire. But instead I'm podcasting with you, lovely gentlemen, and I wouldn't have it any other way.
0: I've said that so many times in my life. Was Mark Melanson, forty-four. Yes. Oh God, that one I can't. I just for, I can't picture him in a Sox uniform.
1: No, no, he was forty-four for a different team. I think. I think he was like, hold on, thirty-six. It might have been thirty-six. Thirty-seven is my Mark Melanson guess. Coop, can you pull it out?
0: <laughs> I'm gonna pull up. I was saving this for enough said, but because this is technically the Vicente Padilla episode, I'm just gonna say it here because I found when I was looking him up like a way back when we were talking about random Red Sox players. And I found a st- like a headline in CBS news, Red Sox pitcher, Vicente Padilla tells Yankees star Mark to that he should play a woman's sport. Oh, <laughs> I can't cool. imagine them having beef.
1: Not cool. Vicente, very sexist of you, but also <laughs> very sexist, Vicente. Um, this is the second time I get to mention that. Oh, this is Mark. Free,
0: damn.
1: Oh, we're we struck out. Um, Second time I've got to mention this on the podcast, but in case you missed it the first time, uh, Padilla had his version of the ephis pitch, which he called the soap bubble, which I think is great. Because, you know, when the little soap and there's a little bubble that goes over the bubble and he makes that noise.
0: Oh, yeah. Nice. We, we've all heard that noise before. Yeah. Loop. Yeah. Loop. Yeah. Renzo's. But before we get going, hit us up on socials. Follow us, Twitter at Playtessie, Instagram, also at Playtessie. As you can hear, I'm here with Sammy and Pat. We've got Coop behind the scenes. But we'll jump right in today. It's like a lot of little things happened since we last recorded. Nothing, nothing major Red Sox wise, but like little things that could have implications Red Sox-wise. And uh one of the interesting things was said, I believe it was said sometime during the weekend. It might have been on Saturday morning. But Cora was talking a little bit about the rotation, which obviously has been the, the biggest topic of discussion on Red Sox Twitter among like anyone who's talking to Red Sox all, all offseason has been talking about the starting rotation. And we went from hoping that they're going to get two aces to, oh my God, just get Yamamoto to, oh my God, just get a controllable guy that can grow with, with Bayo. to, oh my God, just build a complete rotation and we we've got Cora's first indication as to what the rotation could look like he said that in the rotation is going to be giolito pavetta Bayo, and that cutter crawford has a leg up on the others and that he didn't he didn't say anything beyond that but then later on he said that tanner hauck has added the most velocity of any pitcher in camp which i would take to mean is is Tanner Houck having a leg up on the fifth spot?
1: Yeah. 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 I agree with that. I think Houck should have a leg up on the fifth spot as well. I think that if you, if you go back and watch Houck starts last year, 2023, it's not really like, you can't look at his starts and say, he's not good enough to be a starter. You look at them and you go, okay, once in a while, he'll have a blow up start and maybe it's more than once in a while. He's a young guy, but he has those blow up starts, which skew the numbers. So people, you know, naturally, and I don't blame anyone who does this. They don't want him to start. It's not my preference either, but that's kind of where we're at. Um, So I get that. I think he should have a leg up as for Cutter Crawford. I don't really know what that means to have a leg up. Um, I guess that it, it can only be a good thing that he has a leg up. We saw him run out of gas a little bit last year. Uh, we also saw him have the best season of his career last year so you know i'm I'm trying to get myself into a headspace where I'm not really lamenting what they haven't done and more so looking forward to what they do have the Red Sox I mean so uh Halk and Crawford developing his starters hey, I- I'm excited to see how that goes and it looks like it's off to a good start by all uh, by all accounts I fucking hate it here man <laughs> um <laughs>
0: What a I, uh,
2: <laughs> I mean, I like, I kind of agree with Sammy. I think how stuff should absolutely play as a starter. I don't think he's a starter. I don't him and Whitlock. I think they are so great out of the bullpen that the more you kind of take them out of what they're really, really good at and try and mess around and make them starters and it doesn't work. I can't imagine that's great on the confidence going back to the bullpen. After you fail as a starter once, twice, this would be three times for Hauk. Like, it's it's hard. It sucks. But I think Cutter should absolutely be in the rotation. If this is the final product, if this is the rotation they have, Cutter should obviously be number four. And I would lean Hauk
0: over Whitlock, yeah, in terms of starting pitching. But you know, it's, no. Is it really fair to call Hauk a failed starter? I, mean, I was about to say that same thing. Like, you could... You could look at
1: someone like Raphael Devers and say he's not a good third baseman. We oh. have over 7,000 innings of proof. There's a someone like Tanner Houck. You know, like how many, how many, here, I'll, I'll check really quick, but he hasn't started that many games. I feel like what we saw last year, it wasn't great, but it wasn't like Winkowski the year that he tried to be a starter. That was, was really. He
0: ERA last year. Well, here's the thing. We see guys like like Hauk and Whitlock, and we almost like forget what it's like, because we haven't seen that many Red Sox starters that start like a full season and are legitimately bad start to finish. Like there are teams that have pit like Jordan Lyles last year, pretty much every time he went out there was just he was gonna stick. Like, but with Tanner Hauk and like Sammy, you alluded to this. Like Hauk went out there and was like pretty good a lot of the time like obviously it's well documented that he had issues going beyond five innings going through the third going through the order three times and honestly I don't think necessarily that added velocity is going to solve that like that's something that's more so solvable if he were to add a third pitch that he's really confident in which we haven't heard much about so like we'll see on that. But yeah, I don't, I wouldn't call him a failed starter. I wouldn't call Whitlock a failed starter either, just because both of them have shown a lot of flashes. It's just consistency, which is something we see in young starters all the time. They, they put together really good work and then it kind of like a couple of bad starts bomb their ERAs, but like overall, like you can kind of see it and you can see it with these guys. I had just hoped that we weren't at that point where we were going to continue experimenting because you know, 2024, once again, you're going to be experimenting.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at how it starts for the most part last year, it's kind of like five innings, three earned runs, which is not great. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that's great. That's not a quality start, which is six innings, three earned runs. But it's manageable when you have a good offense, and especially for a young guy that's going to be your fifth starter. I mean, look at his uh, his April. He's got a 4.5 ERA on the dot with a 4.06 fifth. That's pretty solid. That's, that's not bad at all. 4.06 FIP. And then his next start, he just blows up six innings, six earned runs. ERA is up to 5.3. FIP is up to 4.3. And then he slowly brings it back down and then he gets another blow up start the following, It's just kind of like, I agree. It wasn't a great showing overall, but if you go game by game, it's a lot more encouraging. That's the, that's the only point I'm trying to make.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's totally fair, game by game. And and you feel it when you watch all the games, too. Like, you can see it. Like, I remember, uh, I want to say it was, like, the week. Did they have, like, a couple of series close together against the Yankees, and he pitched really well against them, and then came back the next start against them, and that's when he got hit in the face? Did I uh, right?
2: Oh, yeah.
0: No, yes. so he actually did well against, you're talking about, yeah, in June. He pitched they well. Had,
1: they had two out of their three series, so he pitched – um first game six innings two earned runs so that's a good game and then yeah. four innings one earned run I think that's when he got hit
0: that's when he got hit so, so and I remember
1: aside from the you know the injury but yeah that, I mean that yeah I mean I didn't even mention that that's a huge part that we have to factor in because if you look at him after that game yeah he just
0: wasn't you got to get built back up like it's a, it's a whole process get, as a starting pitcher getting hurt in the middle of the season for an extended period of time absolutely sucks because with position players, it's like you recover from your injury, you get a few games in, and you're back at it. With these starters, it's like you got to build yourself back up. And like Whitlock, when he came back last year, didn't even bother building himself back up. They needed him so badly that they just brought him back and told him, like, you're going to pitch out of the bullpen.
1: Man, I, I was feeling so good about Whitlock after a few starts. He started pitching, uh, pitching backwards, which, if you're not aware what that is, is kind of pitching off of the changeup. So the changeup was like his main pitch for a little bit. And it was just, it looked so nasty. And the fastball would be like 94-ish, 93, not his max. And, oh, it looks so good. And then the wheels kind of just came off. But, yeah, I wouldn't call either a failed starter. Whitlock's, I might be wrong. I feel like Whitlock has had more opportunity than Hauk, So I'm more inclined to go with Hauk. Also, just like Whitlock in the bullpen is, oh, oh, my God. He was closing games in 2021. So...
0: I think they could um, both be that. I think they would both be that good in the bullpen, and and that's and we'll get into this later. But if you could come up with a way to have them both in the bullpen, well, okay. Like it, can I ask
1: a question? Quick, quick question. And I, I mentioned this the other day to you guys. Um, all right, what would you rather? Who do you think you're going to get more out of? Actually, Tanner Houck as your fifth starter, or Michael Lorenzen as your fifth starter?
0: Is this a trick question?
1: No, I'm serious. And I think this is how the Red Sox are looking at it. If they're not going to get Montgomery, what is the point of signing a guy like Lorenzen when you already have a guy in-house who could give you similar numbers? And even if Lorenzen is, you know, slightly, slightly better, is that really worth bringing in another guy?
0: I'll give you two answers to it, Sammy. The reason I would do it, A, is it adds depth to your bullpen. Like you could either trade Jansen because you now have depth there or – Now Lorenzen is giving you, like, reasonable... Like, I I don't know. Who knows how good he's going to be, but he's giving you reasonable starts. You can expect that. And now you've got a good reliever in the bullpen and Hauk. And if you're not good, you could trade Lorenzen. And then Hauk is starting in the second half. So, like, I understand where you're coming from there because, yes, like, if you're just looking at it, who is going to be the better starting pitcher this year if they have the full opportunity to do it? Yeah, I don't think Lorenzen is any guarantee to be that much better than how better at all so i get where you're coming from there but i just think like adding depth to the organization helps you win games and if you're not winning games you trade it
2: yeah i think lorenzen i i think at this point they're probably pretty equal in terms of what you can expect out of them in like a starting role But the one thing that it would enable them to do is kind of flip-flop between the two as like a piggyback, kind of like what Philly did with Lorenzo and Matt last year. Like those are two guys that can play really well off each other. I wouldn't necessarily trust either taking a full starter workload over the course of like a full season.
0: Yeah, I have a question. I post this on Twitter, and I I don't know the exact numbers of the results, but I know the order. If you guys had to pick just assuming no more additions that last fifth starter spot is down to Whitlock Hauk, Winkowski oh easy I was I, yeah give me the order I only easy. ask people on Twitter okay okay uh Pat you go first what do you got
2: Winkowski me- Hauk, Whitlock
1: you would
0: start Winkowski
1: yeah I think oh. stuff is very playable as a starter wow Okay. I'm the, I'm the exact opposite. I'm Hal Whitlock Winkowski. I don't want Wink- Winkowski was awful as a starter in 2022. And, and the reason I say this, uh, I, I have an actual reason other than like, he wasn't good. His velocity ticked up big time, big, big, big time in the bullpen. Like it was night and day. He looked like a complete different pitcher. So that's not to say like, you know, the pitch, what's the new name for the, the run prevention team. Run prevention team. They're calling him
0: the run prevention.
1: Um (laughs) the run prevention unit, whatever they're called. Um I would like, you know, it would be cool to see Winkowski in that, but he is by far my third choice there. I like I'd rather see them run it back with Whitlock or Hauk. So
0: Pat so Pat took Winkowski. Sammy, you took Hauk. This isn't just us doing some shit where we're just like, oh, we'll each make an argument for one of them. Like I would take I would take Whitlock. So we all have we all have different answers. I would go Whitlock, Hauk, Winkowski, and I have I have Whitlock and Hauk pretty close together. If, literally, if only because that vo- that Houck increasing his velocity comment gets me a little excited. And I thought Whitlock looked okay in his start. Like he had a not very good first inning, allowed the homer to Adley Rutschman, allowed a lot of hard contact, hard hard line out to center, deep fly out to the warning track, uh, got a guy the final guy to a two strike out, and had a little bit of trouble putting him away. The changeup didn't quite look like what it was when he was dominant his first couple of years. Obviously, first start of spring training, so like I'm not going to read too much into it. But like, it swayed me a little bit, but not enough to change my decision. Whitlock has got three plus pitches that he can pull out, and that is something that how we have not seen. And with Winkowski, to your to your just to like go against you a little bit here, Pat. I'm not. I need to see Winkowski maintain that 96 plus velocity throughout like five, six, seven innings before I'm willing to consider him there. Cause that's what made him such an effective reliever. Like he was, he was gunning it up to like 98, 99 at times. And when he was starting, I want to say that that was sitting like 91, 92.
1: Yeah. Gordo also, it it goes back to what you said when I mentioned Hauk is a starter. Winkowski in the bullpen helps the bullpen, which helps the starters, which helps everybody. He was, multi-inning guy last year and I he was a guy that I really didn't expect much from in 2023 and he really made an impact where would that team be remember how bad that that bullpen fizzled out the last two months of the season could you imagine if they didn't have Winkowski in there shutting shit down and I know he had his struggles he had that mid-season lull where you know the velocity dipped down a little bit and he was getting hit but I really like that guy in the bullpen and you, know, you could say this – it's funny. We're having this debate, but you could really make the same argument about three guys, and it, it makes sense because we all three picked a different person. But, yeah, for me, it's – I really like Winkowski in the bullpen. The velocity uptick is what really gets me.
0: Okay, wait. Quick quick question before we before we move on. Uh, I think I know the answers to this from both of you guys, but I want to ask it anyway. Uh, would you put any of those three guys in AAA as starter depth?
1: No. No. Has starting depth?
0: Yes. Like, keep one of them stretched out and starting in AAA so that if someone gets hurt, they can come up and kind of fit in seamlessly in the rotation. And you could don't you have to, like... That, could,
1: could you imagine that conversation with one of those three? I know. You're so <laughs> good. We're putting you in AAA. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's just not... I could see it happening, though. I wouldn't do it, but I could see it happening. Can you imagine? Hey, Josh Winkowski, we know you pitched eighty-four innings out of the bullpen with an ERA below three. We're gonna start you in A though. And I know it's to get him a bigger role down the road, but like,
0: <laughs> no, I wouldn't no. do it either. No, we're we're all for three on that one. We're yeah. all for three on that one. I just I think that the way that that comes across, obviously, to the guy, unless the guy's on board with it, and the guy like suggests that he wants to stay stretched out, in which case, like, I guess. But the way that comes across to the pitcher is you're holding me back. The way that comes across to the team is we've got talented pitchers that could be helping this team win. But this is yet again, you focusing on the future, not focusing on the present. So yeah, I think it sends a bad message. Obviously, like we know that this team is focusing a little bit on 2025 and beyond, but you got to at least give them a shot in 24.
1: It's also worth noting that Winkowski is pre-ARB right now. So in 2026, he's going to be ARB eligible. So if he says no to this demotion or he pushes back on the promotion, then it gets to arbitration in a few years. You just know the Red Sox are going to be like, we tried to turn you into a starter, but you didn't want to take that extra step. So that's the gross part of baseball, but we should definitely, you know, you got to take that into account. could be used against him. So we just
2: debated which one of Winkowski, Whitlock, and Hauk we would start, right? What if I told you that as currently constructed in terms of guys under contract, what if I told you those three made up three-fifths of your rotation next year? Oh, boy. For shits and gigs, I kind of went through and just wrote out kind of what a roster would look like. Rotation as of now next year, and this is assuming Giolito opts out and Pavetta leaves, which I think are both realistic. Bayo, Crawford, Hauk, Whitlock, Winkowski. That is your starting rotation. The bullpen loses Kenley and Chris Martin, as well as if we want to call it Cooper Criswell, Cooper Criswell. The bullpen is now Brendan Bernardino, Chris Murphy, Weissert. Kelly Campbell, Jake's Mata, Fulmer,
1: Hendricks. Oh my God, Coop! Can you just delete this whole segment? This is painful. So the pitching side of things, I want to
2: fucking die.
1: <laughs> I muted him. I couldn't take that anymore. I I can't do that. That's <laughs> miserable, right muted there. For
0: talking about the outlook holy, of
1: the team. <laughs> holy moly.
0: You. Oh Pat, no,
1: you're <laughs> muted, Pat. I control you. Um. <laughs> that did too, he flew too close to the sun? Yeah, oh, that was like, right. I mean, there's I great. You oh,
2: there's God. great news.
1: He oh, oh, position hold on. player position He's... player pool
2: way too stacked, like way too log jam. Good. This is also assuming that Mayor Teal and Anthony are up next year, which I feel like is they should be. Catcher, you have Teal and Wong. First base, Casas. Second, between second base and shortstop, you have Von Grissom, Trevor Story, Marcella Meyer, <laughs> Outfield, outfield slash DH, really, you have Duran, Anthony, Abreu, Yoshida, Rafaela, Ref Snyder. Then you also have, you know, Devers, all that. Th- that is so many players for nine positions. They have to make trades to kind of shore that up. One thing that's going completely overlooked, one year from now, if Mayer comes up, what happens with Von Grissom? Does Vaughn go to third, Rafi DHs? Does Vaughn go to left field? Because he can play left field. Is Vaughn now a super utility guy like he was in Atlanta? That's something that's like...
0: It has to be decided. Yes. And I, I think they, go ahead, Gordo. I, well, I was going to say, I think this is why they were so open earlier in the off season about the need like Breslau basically said it he's like our offensive our our young offensive players are way ahead of our young pitchers and we need to make moves to balance that out and it's quite frankly something they never ended up doing and I don't think that's due to lack of trying but like it's something that like Pat you just listed it out if they don't do it and like obviously, in the scenario you just listed out, they have let a lot of money go off the books without adding any back. But like that's where the roster is going to be as we start the off season, and it's clear that w- without having ma- without making those trades that realign the organization, you are now how many outfielders did you just list? Like six or seven? Uh,
2: as of now, it's Duran. Anthony, Abreu, Yoshida, Rafaela, Ref Snyder.
0: So we got six outfielders and like, yeah, like whatever, one can play DH, whatever. And then you've got, the the Grissom question is interesting, Pat, because if you asked me today, if like what the plan would be, I would say the super utility thing is is kind of by default what you have to do. Because Marcelo Meyer is like your blue chip guy. You're not Like, okay. You know what? No, Sammy, you you had it. We we talked about this briefly. You had, you, you had a good idea. I want to let you make that point. Okay. Question. Do we all kind of agree that
1: Raphael Devers, despite the defensive issues will probably be the third baseman, not the DH or first baseman for the next three to five years. Unless they get Bregman next year. Yes. I think, yes. Then I really don't know what you do with Meyer because in my head, I would be fine with move Raffy to DH. I've said this a million times. I think that's where he should be. We won't go over that now. Move him to DH. You bring up Meyer, have him play third base, just like they did with Xander Bogarts. Now, granted, I wouldn't want them to go third base shortstop, third base shortstop. Kind of messed up Xander at the beginning there, but that's one route they could take. I think the most, not the most obvious, but one that makes sense. You have a lot of hitting talent in the minors, like, both Gordo and Pat just spoke about. You don't have much pitching talent. The hitting talent is ahead of the pitching talent that it's outnumbering. You could swing him for a pitcher, man. I mean, we talked about that for for months at the beginning of the offseason. That's the kind of guy like Marcelo Meyer. Now, I don't think it would have made sense to include him in a trade this year because he's coming off of a kind of sort of lost season where he tried to play through an injury. I don't think anybody worth listening to thinks he's a bust, but you'd still be selling lower than you have to. So say he bounces back. He's still incredibly young, has a good season in double A, maybe comes up to triple A. That is when you look to move a guy for a pitcher, a real, a real pitcher. And we're not talking like a Jordan Lyles, though we love Jordan <laughs> Lyles. God. We're talking like Lizardo type, like a, a number one caliber starting pitcher. So it's a good problem to have. It's a problem, but it's a good problem to have. You have too much offensive talent. The good I don't know if you want to say this is a good thing. You have a glaring need that you could flip that offensive talent for. So at the very least, they have some options. I'd rather this than like, who are we filling the roster
0: out? Yes. Sammy, so, it's it's better to have like, and I said this going into this offseason and like we're still in the same place. So like take, what, take it however it's worth. But it's better to have one obvious problem that everyone knows you need to fill and it's, there's like an obvious way to do it. Then like when they were going into the 2023 season and had like holes all across the roster and Bloom is saying, we need to add nine players or whatever. Like that is a tough spot to be in because that's when you start adding a bunch of mid because you have to spread the money around. But I want to go back to, you were talking about Devers is going to be the third baseman for the next three to five years or whatever. And I'm, I'm very much like a proponent of him being the third baseman, but if and like obviously this whole conversation is very dependent like we need to see how von grissom plays because if von grissom is like very average then like yeah he's the utility guy and like we're all in agreement with that but if he's really good and he needs to be in a lineup every day and have a position that he's going to play every day he's become a good defensive second baseman and maybe he's like your table setter or leadoff hitter i don't know if he needs to be in that lineup I don't think there's anything wrong with moving Devers to DH if you've got mainstays all across the diamond. The reason I'm so against moving Devers to DH is because it hinders roster building. It's much easier to acquire a DH to fill that hole than it is to acquire a third baseman who can play defense and hit. Can I ask
1: a a fairly related question? We've talked about this before. Do it. So I agree with you. If you do move Devers to DH, it does make roster construction difficult. I think that's a worthwhile trade-off. You don't, that's fine. That said, the reason it makes roster building a little bit more difficult to a a larger degree is because there's already a guy on the roster with defensive issues, Masataka Yoshida, who is slated to be the starting DH. So I want to pose this question again that we've already spoken about. Do you guys think the Red Sox have any regrets about signing Yoshida? And let me just say, that is not to say that he's not a good player. I think we all agree he's a good ball player. Not not a guy that anyone's like, oh crap, we got Yoshida on the team. But in terms of roster construction, do you guys think the Red Sox regret signing Yoshida? Right now, no. Next year, yes. I think Probably right seven.
2: now, this year, They're completely comfortable with him being DH, and I don't necessarily blame them. Next year, when you have way too much talent, and Yoshida is pretty limited in where he can slot in, as opposed to Duran, who realistically can probably play all three outfield positions, Abreu, corner outfielder, like you have guys who can kind of move around, and they're pretty versatile. Masa is pretty much DH or left field. And when you have that much talent, especially... If Rafaela and Anthony are up next year with Duran, you're in really deep in the weeds. Like you, at that point, you have to move Massa in order to even build like a competent roster. And you're and probably that, paying to move Massa at that point. Yes. So I think right now they are perfectly content paying Massa DH. I'm paying Massa 18 million a year to be a DH this year. Fine. Cool. He'll probably hit close to 300. Should I hopefully hit for a little higher on the power numbers? Hopefully, he's around like thirty-ish, thirty-five doubles, twenty-ish home runs. But next year, I think they're in a world of hurt because that's a roster spot they kind of need to make, get the most versatility out of the guys that should be up.
0: Sammy, I have a follow up on this. Who who is regretting? Like who who? Because I think there's different answers depending on on who we're talking about. Good question. Uh, regretting, I don't know if this is
1: fair, but like Breslow, like the, per, like if That's he, fair. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I let, like better word would be if he wishes Yoshida was not on the roster, I should say, because he didn't make the move. I and think then also he, Cora would be the second guy, because Cora, oh my God, positional versatility. He likes to move guys around, which is great. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I mock the positional versatility thing because I think it's a little overstated, but it doesn't mean it's not important. So to answer your question, uh, Breslow and Cora were my main two because it's not really a money thing as much.
0: Well, okay, I was gonna say basically, I think those guys would rather they have had the ability to spend that money and go short term because, as Pat just pointed out, look at all these guys coming, and that's just next year. Like, you know, we've got Miguel Blaze coming a couple years down the line, like, there's more outfield coming. So you, and this was the same reason that I thought that extending Verdugo was never going to be in the cards because you're committing both of your corner outfield spots, and you've got guys coming up. It's like, why do you need it? You can make the argument for Yoshida, but I say I say that with a but because if you ask ownership, I think it's not a coincidence that the two guys that they spent on one come one is a Dominican. One of th- one of them is one of the best Dominican baseball players in the world, and one of them is a Japanese superstar. Like you're now marketing the Red Sox globally. I don't think that that is out of the consideration when they're making these decisions.
1: Yeah, fair,
0: fair. Come fly to
1: Boston to watch us get waxed by the Rays.
0: I've got a good. I've got. I've got a good segue here. Ooh, uh, love segues because the one of the. I don't even want to say one of them. The one guy that the Red Sox still, at this point, have a chance to sign is not Dominican or Japanese. He is—he's—he's he's American. And coop, I cue up, cue up the audio, coop, because Craig Breslow hopped on with with our buddy Bradfoe on the broadcast with Bradfoe and Joe Castiglione during the spring training game on Sunday, and Rob asked him about the implications of the Cody Bellinger signing. And Breslow kind of had an interesting response, and I want to play it here.
2: When when you look at the the market of these guys, has has things changed at all? And we talk about you know everyone's different, but has do you get the sense that things have changed at all?
1: Well, I'm, I'm not sure we're yet seeing the implications of you know bellinger signing let's say uh you know and i think a lot has been made of the you know the constraints or parameters that we are aren't working under um you know i think we'll obviously continue to look at every opportunity that's out there to to improve the team um while ensuring that we prioritize uh you know kind of the the long-term outlook alongside the shorter-term outlook um so i don't know is the short answer um but you know it it would be
0: irresponsible not to so, the reason I wanted to play that quote was if you go look at other camps, Farhan Saidi, the the whatever the head title is for the Giants is basically saying, yeah, like we're probably not adding any more significant pieces. Chris Young, the head guy for the Rangers, is basically saying, yeah, we can't add any more pieces. And then you you ask Breslow, and he says something like that. So Sa- Sammy, you hear that quote. Rob posts that on Twitter today. I don't know if you're listening on radio live or if you saw it on Twitter, whatever. You hear that quote. What's your first reaction?
1: Oh, uh, you're not gonna like this. My first reaction is that is a guy who's new to being in front of the mic. He's only had a few reps. He sounded a little bit nervous, and he was kind of saying a little bit of nothing again. I don't read too much into it, and I know you guys are probably sick of me hearing sick of hearing me say this, but like he's just saying nothing. He Even at the end, he goes, I don't really know. So um, it's better than hearing him say, we're done adding, sure. But it's true. We haven't seen the anything happen since Bellinger. It was less than 24 hours ago as we're recording on uh, February 25th. So I don't know. If I were to say that that meant something, I feel like I'd be dishonest to you guys. I don't think it means much other than cards are still on the table.
2: Pat? Yeah, I think that was like a grand scheme kind of thing. I think he knows that with one of the Boris guys going out, I think he knows that like Monty, Chapman, Snell, um, Monty, yeah, Monty, Chapman, Snell, like all those guys, I think he knows that Boris is kind of pushing to get them somewhere before it's like way deep into spring training. But I don't think he necessarily means like, oh, we know something. I think it's more so like, holding out hope essentially that Monty's price does drop to something a little more reasonable for them. But outside of that, I don't think it
1: was directed at like, we know what the fallout's going to be. Do you guys think he sounds nervous? Cause when he, in oh, moment, he but sometimes when Breslow, like, he kind of talks like this, like he talks really fast and he did like kind of that sort of thing where he just doesn't sound super polished and that might just be how he talks. You know, it's not in the job description to be a great order or anything, but don't know he just sounded has he ever been on a broadcast like that before i know it's spring training but you're with rob
0: bradford he's probably nervous as hell so did you guys know know that uh they talked about this if you listen to the full recording uh did you guys know that breslow wrote for wei for like two weeks and technically for that period of time bradford was his boss (laughs) yep (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) Uh... No, I, I'll give you my I'll give you my thoughts on it. I would normally kind of be on your side, Sammy, because I've just sort of been of the mindset for a long time now that this just isn't happening. But you had Rob report, Bradfo report that the Red Sox are prioritizing Monty over other free agent additions, but are waiting for the price to come down. Basically, they're leaving the door open. And Sean McAdam reported that they are not necessarily optimistic that it's going to get done. I think a lot of that ties into what Alex Spear said a few weeks back about they're waiting for the market to potentially crash, but are not necessarily convinced that when that happens, he would come there because he might go to a team that has a better chance to win. But obviously we know that, that teams and agents leak these things to the media. Maybe that could be Boris leaking to the media that, yeah, you're waiting for the price to come down, but guess what? We're going, Anywhere but you, if, if it does. But I don't know. I I read into it a little bit because it would be incredibly easy to reference how good X, Y, and Z pitchers have looked in spring training and be like, listen, man, like we saw G pitch well today. We saw Bayo pitch well today. Whitlock threw a couple innings. Hawks Velocity's up. Like we're excited to see where this goes. It would be really easy to say that. And he left the door open. So I don't know. I i don't I also for what it's worth don't think and, and we can uh, we can talk about this a little bit, but Cody Bellinger signs a three-year $80 million deal with opt-outs after the first two years. I think we all agree that's a Boris L. Like this is a guy who was initially L. L. A, he was seeking $240 million when the offseason opened up and he gets 80. So that that's not where Bellinger wanted to be. And I don't think Boris, if he's going to take an L with one of these guys, is going to have that be the first one. Because taking an L with Bellinger, in my opinion, signals that he's about to take Ls across the board with these guys. Because it signals to other teams that, okay, now he's willing to cave. Because he just did
1: it. Yes. Yes. This is what I have predicted, Gordo. He's going to start taking Ls. And dude, by the way, Cody Bellinger was projected to get in the neighborhood of like long term and 200 million. He got not even close to that. And what was it? Three you said three years opt out after two. So not only is he not getting the term or the money he wants, his options for when he becomes a free agent again are age 30 and 31. That sucks. That's a Boris L. And he had a 900 OPS last year, Cody Bellinger, who we're discussing. And I know he was very bad the years prior, a little bit up and down and everything, but like, he didn't, he didn't, even, get, he didn't even get close to what was projected. So it's nice to see. I don't want to see guys losing money, but it's nice to see like Boris is human. I'm not going to feel bad for a guy who just made $80 million in Cody Bellinger, but uh, to see a Boris client and Boris himself kind of like come down to earth where the rest of us are while spring training is already multiple games in, you know, good signs makes me feel good as a Red Sox fan. I'm, I'm not leaving this hill, Montgomery to Boston. It's coming. So
2: just to revisit our predictions, I think from two or three episodes ago now at this point, Sammy had three years, 69 million. These are projections for Montgomery's contract. Sammy had three for sixty nine. Gordo had five for hundred I had five for 110 coop had five for 140.
0: it's it's interesting i and we're not allowed to change these so that's not I'm not gonna ask you guys to yeah. do that because that we're not allowed it's not happening I would say the leader in the pack right now might be sammy
1: yeah I think i undershot the money because 3 for 69 is 23 million a year and I feel like if if Montgomery is gonna Take such a short-term deal like that, he'll want like twenty-five, but I'll stick by it three for sixty-nine, and that wasn't a joke about the number. That was my <laughs> actual guess three for sixty-nine. So, uh, yeah, hey, it's, it's a lot of money,
0: and it would be so great, in particular, like if you're gonna do a deal like that, assuming it has opt-outs after the first, after every year of the deal, so similar to Bellinger, similar to what they did with J.D. Martinez, something like that. That outcome would be so good for a guy like Montgomery over a a guy like Bellinger, Snell, Chapman, because he doesn't have that pick attached. So not only are you not giving up a pick for potentially one year of a guy, but now you you either succeed, you compete, and he sticks on your roster, and you net a draft pick if he leaves, or you don't compete, and you trade him, and you get guys that way. Like signing Montgomery to a deal like that is so team friendly in a way, which is why I wonder if his deal will look like Bellinger's or if Boris is just going to hold out for the greatest possible deal, knowing that he may not get a chance to capitalize on Monty without the draft pick attached again. It's just something that we're going to have to see play out. But I want to read uh, Boris's quote. He he talked to Bob Nightingale uh, with USA Today and the quotes in there sound incredibly targeted to me. I'm going to read it off and and I'll, I'll, I'll get your guys' takes on it. But Boris said, players that have made commitments to their franchise, they're crying out. They were told by ownership they had a common goal of winning. We're seeing those situations now where the players are serving as the litmus test for the commitment to winning. Then he goes on to say, when you have players like this who are available, they can dramatically impact the outcome and goals of teams. It's like the trade deadline in July. You can absolutely change the culture in the clubhouse by adding one of these players. And then he goes on to say, when you talk about a commitment to win, it's hard to sell the city and fans. You're doing everything possible to achieve a championship if you don't pursue the talent that's available. So I'm curious, do you guys think as much as I do that that quote is directed like right at the Red Sox? That was Boris? That was
1: Boris. Boris. Oh my God. I think I love Scott Boris now. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm, I hope he doesn't take any more L's now. That was great. Yeah. I don't think it's targeted at the Red Sox. I think it's targeted at teams like the Red Sox, like, uh, like Seattle. A team that kind of goes all in. What'd you say, Pat? Mets? Mets. Mets this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teams like that who are kind of like what, Milwaukee, one foot in, one foot out kind of thing. So, oh man, no notes for me. that was beautiful. Well
0: said, Scotty B. And he, he, but he started the quote off with the thing about players speaking out too. And there's there's been three notable players that spoke out and they did it in, in different ways. You obviously had Devers. We talked about that at nauseum. You had Mike Trout, who says he has been talking to their owner, Artie Moreno, trying to get them to add to the team, add free agents. And then you had Aaron Judge, who didn't really approach it like that. He kind of just said, yeah, like we might have another move coming. He didn't he didn't like press them or anything. And I don't think Yankees ownership deserves that because they've spent a bunch of money and they've clearly shown a commitment to win this offseason. But those are the three guys he could have been referring to. And I don't think that Scott Boris can be targeting that quote at the Yankees after what they've done.
1: Yeah, man, I'm trying to think like, who could that have been? I think it's more general than anything. And I'm sorry to keep <laughs> no-selling all these quotes, but I think it's just more of a general thing. But if I had to pick a team, I mean, how Red Sox is that? Like with, like you mentioned, Kenley, Devers, like it, it fits. The shoe fits, wear it. So that said, maybe go sign Montgomery for the Red Sox.
2: <laughs> also worth noting when he says like guys calling out teams, It could always be his own clients too, like guys have a mutual agent. Like, have you talked to my team at all about like Montgomery Snell? Like, it always could be something like that. But just given the context of what he said, and not like conversations I've had or like from what I've heard, it was very like state of the mat, like state of the fact. Like, guys are calling teams out. It's hard not to think about the Red Sox. Like, it's everything he said kind of fits that mold. Like, it's if the shoe fits.
0: It's just, yeah, I I find it so hard to not read into it. And it doesn't, that doesn't mean that like you should take what we're talking about as we think that the Red Sox are going to do this because Boris is talking about them. I think that that just means what we already know is that the Red Sox have been involved with Montgomery. That's been reported. Like we have differing opinions as to how much we expect that union to occur, but they have been talking and... Clearly Boris is frustrated. I remember when I asked him at the winter meetings if he had how his conversations with the Red Sox went. And he kind of gave me a non-answer. And I was surprised about it because I was like, oh, like the Red Sox are definitely talking to him about his guys and about spending money. Like he kind of makes it seem like they're not really. And I remember being like, oh, he must have just been giving me a non-answer. But like, no, I think I think Boris kind of just tells it like it is. And so I think, yeah, I think he's frustrated with. Some of these big market teams holding back the checkbook. And I think the Red Sox are at the forefront of that. The
1: the only thing I disagree with is I don't think Boris tells it like it is. I think Boris tells it how he wants it to be, that
0: makes sense. But oftentimes, that's how it is. In this case, it's certainly how it is. But you're right, you're right. Because like sometimes he's telling you that Blake Snell has a career arch of Randy Johnson, that he's on the same track as Randy Johnson was, which... We all, that's a load of shit. That's has got to be
1: Big, big fan of hyperbole, that Boris boy. But wow. yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad. It, I honestly didn't know about that quote until you said it, Gordo. That's,
0: I hope, I hope that's targeted at the Red Sox. Hell yeah. Jesus. Before Damn. before we move to enough said, we can't, we can't go this whole episode and not talk. We've been asking for months to get any sort of, update or news or indication on what the Red Sox offer to Yoshinobu Yamamoto was. And Bob Nightingale kind of just dropped in like the middle of an article, looped the Red Sox in with a bunch of teams uh, and said that they were among the teams that offered Yoshinobu Yamamoto at least $300 million. And God, you could go so many different directions with this, but I I guess I just want to ask, I'll go one by one here. Sammy, do you believe it? Do you believe Bob Nightingale here? No.
1: No, I don't. And I don't think Bob Nightingale's lying or anything. I think whoever told him that is full of shit. Why, why would I believe that? That they offered it? And, you know, the answer is going to be, well, they said they would go after, like they insinuated they'd go after Yamamoto. And why, why the hell? Would I believe that the Red Sox, who won't sign Jordan Montgomery, even though he's begging to be signed by them, why would I believe that they offered Yamamoto three hundred million dollars? It just makes no sense. And to the people who are going to say, "Well, he's they're not they're not sharing the offer. They don't want to reveal it because they don't want it to affect negotiations with Montgomery." Two things: they revealed the Imanaga offer the second it friggin came out that he was going to chicago they were like look look we we made a good offer look at us we're not that bad two yamamoto negotiations from two months ago is not going to affect jordan montgomery today when we know his price is down the suitors have been narrowed down it just doesn't make sense there's there's no world in which i'll believe that the red sox offered 300 million or more to yamamoto my guess is that they offered him like 200 something and then they had incentives that would like escalator it up to 300 and they're technically not lying but they're bending the truth. So no, I don't believe they offered 300 million to friggin Yamamoto. no way.
0: Pat, do you believe him? do you believe that do you believe it? 300 mil? Yamamoto Fred Sox do you believe it?
2: I do. Woo-hoo. I do I do believe it because. Just kind of, I was thinking about this. Early, I looked at the show sheet earlier. I was thinking about it. If you kind of go on that timeline, when the first when the offseason first started, it was the full throttle. We're getting two pitchers. We're going all in. Like blah blah blah, all the shit. I think they truly, and I and we kind of talked about this before. Like we hope to God that all of their eggs aren't in the Yamamoto basket. I think it they were. I think they were so confident that with Yoshida, with a $300 million offer, I think they really truly thought that Yo- Yoshinobu Yamamoto was was going to pick the Red Sox. And I do think that that's when the script flipped. After Yamamoto signed, that's when all the shit came out about shedding salary, budget. I think they Yamamoto was their guy. And they hit a point where it's, we're not just going to pay guys to pay guys. Let's get ready for next next offseason. I think that makes sense because everything up until Yamamoto signing, there was no inkling of the Red Sox not being willing to spend. The second he signed is when Kelly's available. Yoshida's available. They're taking calls. Duran's available. They don't want to go over this. They don't want to go over that. Like That was the point where everything kind of changed. So I do think that they, stupidly, thought that they were almost a lock to get Yamamoto.
0: I I agree to an extent cuz I think they opened the off season with that as their plan and I think all their eggs were in that basket and I totally buy the timeline that you said. I just don't think cuz you got to remember beginning of the off season we had we had discussions on this podcast and I remember Sammy was the first to bring it up because the projections for Yamamoto right then were 200 million and Sammy said smartly why why are we thinking this guy's going to stop at 200 million? He's 25. He's supposed to be this incredible pitcher. Why why stop there? Like why not 250? Why not 275? And they just kept growing and growing and growing and I think the Red Sox were in it at when he when he was projected to get 200 million. I think they were more than willing to do that. But I just I I can't see this organization that has been so PR conscious over last two decades, taking all of this heat about them being cheap, about them not wanting to spend money, about them having a budget, about them shedding payroll, about them wanting to trade all these guys. And then not if they offered $300 million to Yamamoto, I would think that that would be a really good rebuttal for all of that shit they're taking. And they never pulled that card. Like, to be honest with you, the way I see this, I think Bob just kind of put it in. Like, He's been known to, like, tweet out things that, like, he, he tweeted out a couple of signings that didn't happen. Like, sometimes, like, during the lockout, he was tweeting stuff that, like, I just he, think he, he goes gone. with it. He gets got. He gets got. That's the way, right, right way to put it. So, I, I agree with what Pat
1: said, the concept of it. But I don't think the offer was three hundred million. I think we would have heard about it, Gordo. You just alluded to that. Like and like I said earlier, they were flaunting the friggin' Imanaga failed offer, like they had yeah. done something which was stupid of them. I feel like if they really did offer him three hundred million, which would have been respectable, then they would have said, "Oh, we offered him this much," or they would have leaked it to someone so that we would know, and then that would quell. A lot of the complaints and Gordo, you said they're very PR conscious. I agree. They're PR conscious. Do I think they're good at the PR thing? Eh, Not fully their fault. They got some loose ends, but um, a PR conscious team would go, Hey, we're getting a really negative public sentiment from the vast majority of the fan base of all ages. If we leak this information that we really did make an honest effort, a college try to sign Yoshinobu Yamamoto for 300 million or more, Let's uh, accidentally let that slip to Bob Nightingale or let's accidentally let that slip to so-and-so. It's been months. I just don't, the timing makes no sense. I don't buy it at all. It would, it would, it just doesn't make sense.
0: I, I can't it's been it. months and it's been, it's not just that it's been months. It's that they have been taking shit on the daily for tumultuous. every one of those days of those months. <laughs> Tumult, that was so
1: nerve wracking to say into the mic, tumultuous, 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 tumultuous. tumultuous. Tumultuous months. Multiple tumultuous months.
0: Ooh. God. Multiple tumultuous months. You guys uh, ready? You guys ready for some Nuff said? Oh yeah. I I'm ready. gonna I'm gonna jump into mine first because I've got a little nugget that uh that I heard. And it's from it's from someone that I trust. And so obviously FSG owns the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I guess the the vibe there is that their coach should be fired or should have been fired a long time ago. I looked at their record. They're kind of mid. I I, I just don't really follow the NHL really beyond the Bruins. So I don't really have that great of a, a grasp on like what the Penguin situation is. But from what I heard, like, this is a guy that probably should have been out of there. And from what I've been told, this coach that they have hasn't been fired because FSG can't afford his buyout.
1: Mike Sullivan from Marshfield, Mass? I was going to
2: say, Gordo, you want to get your mind blown? We'll we'll circle back to that rumor, but you want to get your mind blown? Please. It's Charlie McAvoy's father-in-law. Whoa! Oh, right, right. It was his AHL coach. He married his daughter. Oh. Yeah. Anyways, uh, that would... I don't know how to feel about that.
1: I feel like there's no way that's true.
0: Isn't it weird? Because they...
1: Contract extension, the kick in at the end of this year. Oh, it's because they just extended him and it kicks in at the end of the year. That's probably why. And what was the contract? Or end of la- end of last year. Sorry. It's the first year this year.
0: But it's just, it's interesting. Cause you hear you hear things like that. It's like they're crying poor. But at the same time, they're investing in the PGA. But at the same time as that, they're crying poor with the Red Sox. You listen to the fans at Liverpool, they're crying poor there. I don't know. I really like a fan gathering of Red Sox,
1: Penguins and Liverpool fans. And we'll all just get together and just have a vent sesh. The three randomest fan bases you can think of. Wait, that would actually be sick.
0: We should do that. We should totally have like a fan or like a writer from both of those other teams. Come on. And we'll just like get to the bottom of what the hell is going on. (laughs) That's actually a good, Gordo, that's a good idea. We should get like a, a Penguins. We should do my college roommate. Idea. My college roommate is like a penguin super fan. Like I, I'll get him on here, man. We'll we'll talk some puck and some soccer, some football. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: they stole the Bruins color scheme, but that's all good. Yeah, we should do that. We get a penguin. Like what's your exp- or a Liverpool person. I don't know anyone who's a Liverpool. Fan. I can't name a single player. We'll on find Liverpool. someone.
0: We'll find someone online.
1: All right. Shut out the internet.
2: But I feel like it would have to be an exclusive Liverpool, like someone who's not also a Red Sox fan.
0: Yes. Yeah, it can't be a
1: crossover. It needs to be like, we got to get a good Liverpool
0: accent. And we got to be finding, like they got to be finding new things out about FSG through us, through our experiences with the Red Sox, just like we'll be finding out things about FSG through their experiences with Liverpool. Well, they hate FSG. They
1: have the signs, the FSG out signs with like fire behind it. Like they hate FSG. We're we're kind of late to the party, mostly because we've seen so much way more good times than bad. To be totally fair to those guys, but we're in the bad right now. So, welcome to the party, Penguins. Come join us.
0: Okay, which one, Sam- Sammy? Sammy, you go next. What do you got? No said.
1: Mine's really quick. Um, Tim Anderson. Uh, former shortstop of the White Sox, he signed a contract, one year, $5 million, with the Miami Marlins. Just a guy I really want to see succeed. He had an awful, awful 2023 negative two war guy, one homer, 60 OPS plus, and the defense took a step back. Just really brutal. And on top of that, he got into a little scuffle with Jose Ramirez, got totally dropped by a nice hook, like, that sucks man. Not only did he play bad, he got embarrassed and that's a proud guy. Like I he has to be proud of what he's accomplished. He's had a good career up until this point. He's won a batting title, he's been an all-star, he's been a silver slugger winner. So, uh I'm rooting for Tim Anderson. I like him. He's a fiery dude and I hope he does really well with Miami and cashes in next year when he's a free agent.
0: Yeah, I I I mean I remember early on in this show I was talking up Tim Anderson as someone I would I would want to play second base for the Red Sox. I am surprised he got a deal to play shortstop because I think the bat could bounce back, but the glove is not something that historically at this age is all that likely, but good for him. Yeah. You know, it's, it's obviously like a one-year stopover and you hope he bounces back and can get a contract. And if not, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> like, I don't know, because if he doesn't bounce back with the bat, he doesn't really add anything, but I think he will. That's a former batting champion. I like him. You got?
2: Mine. Yeah. yeah, let's hear it. I, this is a little tin foil hat, like a tin, yeah, tin foil hat moment. So I had a, uh, a painstaking drive back to Connecticut today. Went home for the weekend, had a lovely time, but I got caught up in a six car crash on the highway, 42 minutes of bumper to bumper traffic. Oh, what fuck. was normally in it? Yep. Uh, oh, no, no, no. God. Oh, my no. God. Jesus. No, no. Caught up in the traffic of, sorry. Um, whew. So, what was normally like a two hour and like 15 minute ride became three hours and 10 minutes today. So, I had plenty of time to think about everything and everything. So, I got to thinking Alex Core's contract is up at the end of the year. I would hope the Red Sox want him back. And it got me thinking, like, you really have to sell him. Because if the Dodgers come calling, if really any other team that's better than the Red Sox comes calling, it's going to be hard to say no. What if we made him a little uh, Alex Korachek, a little
1: Alex Bellacora, Coach GM? Oh, Well, Pat, there's no need. The Fenway experience is all he needs. So don't worry. He'll be back. Wait. So you're saying you want to, you want to make him like Belichick, where he is, GM. Not it? necessarily like roster control,
2: because that still should be Breslo. But in terms of say in roster construction, like the GM title, kind of like what Boh did under Haim and under Dombrowski.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. So he gets a little bit of like a little bit of say. The
0: only he gets a seat only...
1: at the table of the decision making more so than he does now. The only issue I would see with that is if, like we've seen him at spring training, he kind of—I don't want to say checked out—but he already looks like, oh, it's going to be a long season. Blah blah, blah blah blah. He would have to deal with more of that if he had the double role. That said. We kind of assume that if he were if he were in that role, the roster would be better because we yes. believe in Cora as a baseball mind. So, kind of a double edged sword there. I don't hate the idea; it's interesting. Definitely something I have not yet thought about. I'm sure everyone's going to have an opinion on that. That's a good uh, a good poll idea. If it if it means keeping Cora, would you give him a, a front office role in tandem with being the manager? It's interesting.
0: I'd do it in a heartbeat. My god, like even even if I don't I don't care if it's he's the GM and he's the number 2 under Breslow and he's up above all of the assistant GMs or if they promote one of the assistant GMs to GM and Cora just gets to be an assistant GM, I want him to be the manager of the Red Sox, but I would be lying if I said I didn't think that him having a seat at the table, being in Boston throughout the whole offseason, being in meetings with ownership where they discuss the roster construction. They discuss the budget. They discuss what they need. Cora has sort of that FU mentality that this team has been missing for a while. And like, I know that Theo Epstein's back in the fold, but he's not going to be there on the day-to-day. I, I just, I think that this team has missed the FU mindset, the FU mentality. Larry Lucchino left. Dave Dombrowski immediately stepped in. Like there was like no time in between. But then as soon as Dombrowski left,
1: that was that. Oh, uh, we got breaking news. You just saw the same thing I did. Garrett Cooper is not signing with the Boston Red Sox. He has signed with the Chicago Cubs. Thank fucking God. Oh, Non-roster invite.
2: And this was a the guy they wanted what? to be on the bench. People
0: yeah. were telling me
1: that this guy was a good right-handed option if they don't get
0: Soler. Fuck that. Thank wow. God. I'm crazy. He, I'm shocked that he got a non-roster. That uh, he had to sign a non-roster deal. That's that is unreal, crazy, yeah, dude. To be he fair. had he had like an OPS over a thousand against lefties last year. Like he didn't yeah, fit this Red it. Sox team, but but that's it. That's all. That's all he does. Is he? That's hits, a lot. Right? He that's hits a big that. deal. Rob Refsnyder does
1: that for free. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Duvall does that. Actually, Adam Duvall's kind of reverse. Yeah, he was right. a reverse guy, but Refsnyder. Yeah. Steve Pierce did that for ten bucks a game. He didn't give a shit. Garrett Cooper. Oh, I would have been in the mud if that were the right-handed hitting option. Just get a Why? guy, just get like JD Davis, trade for him. Some guy who can play third, get Devers off his. I don't know. Anyway.
0: Non roster with the Cubs is kind of if you're gonna non-roster yourself, the Cubs might be the best place to do it. I for I think his name is Bush, the guy they got from the Cubs. Michael Bush, yeah. Michael Bush. Like oh, he's, he's gonna be their starting first baseman. Yeah. right but like he's a prospect so like maybe you make the team on as a bench guy and michael bush doesn't perform and now you get to step in the lineup whereas with the red Sox, you sign with the Sox. Why you're behind tristan costas like you're not getting in there yeah uh, you know what honestly you guys are gonna think i'm crazy i might really
1: rather doll back on the bench than garrett cooper <laughs> that guy oh. is that guy does uh, nothing, uh, 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 nothing.
0: <laughs> Dude, he hits left. Bob doesn't hit any. Come on.
1: He hits Bob lefties. Hits, Bob, don't make me stand up for Bob. Come on.
0: No. Bob hits this. triple A pitching. Bob How could get water from a boat. I do- I Bob hits triple a a pitching, man. Eric Cooper, and he's not
1: coming here. And I'm very happy about that. I'm sure he's a great guy. I wish him the best in Chicago. I hope he hits several home runs after half of uh, lefties. Great. Fantastic. Ah, Okay. Cool. What do you guys think of J.D. Davis? We trade like a lower tier prospect for J.D. Davis? Inspiring deal. Plays the corners. It's lefties low, and righties.
0: Low, low tier I would. Because they they yeah. could use they could use a, anyone who could spell Devers at third base. I think a right-handed option there. Yeah, you
1: really have many. So like I look at the bench. Catcher is all set. I like Reese as the backup. Uh, middle infield, you got Pablo. That's good. Outfield, you have forty-seven outfielders on the roster. The one thing they don't really have is a corners multiple, both corners guy.
0: Urshela would have been perfect,
1: dude. Urschel. I think Pablo played a little first base today, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So he's so he can handle first. I think if you could play shortstop, you can handle first. I'm sure he could handle third, but I'd kind of like a guy who's like a third baseman.
0: So. Yeah, and, and someone that you'd be able, you'd be comfortable with being in there regularly just because I think Devers getting a fair amount of DH time would be good for him. Good for the team. Yeah. When you get fi- your worst, worst, worst defender off the field,
1: it's always good. So
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, any final thoughts before we land this thing? No, that's
2: it. No, no. Go oh wait, I, I have a prediction.
0: Okay. Let's hear it.
2: Montgomery and Chapman signed this week. Snell will not. Why specifically Snell will not? I think he really is holding out on the West Coast. He will be a Yankee. That is a fact. He will be a Yankee. But I think he's going to hold out until like the very last minute for maybe the Giants or the Angels to swoop in. I
0: think he's going to be a Giant.
1: Do you? I've changed my opinion on it. I think he's going to be a Giant. I think Chapman is going to be a Giant. Yankees, short-term, high AAV for Snell. It's going to suck. Yeah. Already.
2: But yeah, that's my prediction. That. I think Monty and Chapman mm-hmm. sign this
1: week.
0: Maybe, maybe by the next time we we talk, we'll have one of these guys off the board. I think I think there's a good shot that that Bellinger going now is going to signal. I think you're onto something, Pat. I think that's I think that things are going to happen sooner well, who, rather than later. Who knows? They maybe we
2: end this today and they sign five minutes after we get off.
0: That happens. That, that
2: wasn't
1: like a hint at anything. That was just a genuine hypothetical. Maybe Cooper gets the market going now that Garrett Cooper's off the market. This one. I love that joke on uh Twitter. I forget I always who I get the market oh, going, coop. you know this.
0: Oh, yeah, wait, rest in peace for Coop here. By the I way, didn't res- I didn't wait, appreciate like it. Criswell. All he's the not- disrespect. We already coop. got a Cooper. Coop. We can have an army of Coopers. Coop. When Cooper troop. Cooper- he was pitching. Cooper Criswell was pitching like either Saturday or Sunday. I forget which one. And Saturday. he threw a good pitch, and I was like, Yeah, add a boy coop. And I was like, Oh. See how nice that is? A little is? too real for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that one. That one gave me flashbacks.
1: I think I, I think
0: Cooper. If and when Cooper Criswell gets a start for this team, we're all gathering for it. That's a that's happening. I'll get a I'll get a Cooper jersey. Are you going to get it Is it going to say Criswell or are you going to go first name on the back? No, I'm
1: going to go first name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to yeah, customize it, but c- it's worth it.
0: You should get a Cecil Cooper jersey.
1: What number Cecil, was he? Wasn't he the well, Blue Jays manager?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, incredibly old. Yeah, just fun. It says Cooper on the back. Oh, I grew up
1: playing with him.
0: <laughs> ah, yeah. You're, old. Like, you're like I'm 50.
1: Leading, I'm leaning 50. into the joke so that you guys can't hurt me. Yeah, was, we were texting Cooper's in the group legend. chat today.
0: We were texting in the group chat today. I was like, wow, I'm just realizing I'm eight years older than Roman Anthony. That which means Sammy is 28 years older than Roman <laughs> Anthony. <laughs> hey,
1: at least people are surprised. I still look youthful. Hell yeah, brother. You're doing <laughs> a great that job. Is that just that you didn't fully rub in? What? What? Is that what? the uh, little hair dye that you didn't rub in fully? Yeah, I missed my hair. They actually have a joke about that in the new season of Curb. It's very funny. Okay, well, I guess I'm not original. Hmm. Yeah. Stealing talkin', jokes. Fucking Larry David. Gate <laughs> what, are you talking about this? Did I not shave this well? No, I was talking about your mustache. I was making a joke that it was gray. Oh, <laughs> never had a gray. Never. Had, I'm freaking 29. I'm not even 30. <laughs> here, here we go. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna like block all of your phone numbers in December this year. What I oh, can you I block numbers you? from a landline? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh god. I was kidding. Fuck you, Pat. <laughs> Oh, on, get us out of here, Gordo. Fuck this. Yeah. On that note, I, I'm sorry if you couldn't hear Sammy as well today. He's, he's talking on his landline from 1982, but what? What? this is this has been episode well, 44 right. of Play Tessie. Uh, before you before you sign off, remember click that. <laughs> really, before you do it, I swear to God, if you don't do it, I'm going to know and I'm going to come find you. Hit pick that subscribe clicker, button. Pick up your clicker. Find your program.
1: And click on Play Tessie on YouTube. I don't even remember the
0: rest. Shit. Find your finest okay, U.S.
1: You're gonna postal do. stamps. <laughs> click that envelope. Send it into W.E.E.I. in Brighton, and let us know that you listen. Here's what mind, you're gonna yeah. do.
0: You're gonna go to your desktop computer, and you're gonna bend down to the to the actual computer. You're gonna click that on button, and you're gonna wait a little bit while it boots up. And then you're gonna type in your password. It's going to take like five minutes to get going, whatever, you're fine. You got all the time in the world. You're going to click up that internet browser, internet Internet explorer. You're going to click that button, double-click it, and it'll come up. www.youtube.com. And then in the search thing, you type in PlayTessyWEI. We got a playlist right there for you. Our episodes are all going up there. So remember, hit that thumbs up on that video. Hit that subscribe button to WEI. Also remember, hit that follow button on all of our podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, Odyssey app. Hit that subscribe button everywhere, rate us five stars, leave a comment. But you got to also remember to follow us on socials, at Playtesty on Twitter, at Playtesty on Instagram. Coop, you're pointing at something. I, What am I missing?
1: I was supposed to be pointing at the subscribe button.
0: Pat's down oh. there though. Oh, Pat's down there. Pat, oh, point to the subscribe you know, button. I've Thank never you. Heard. Dude, yeah, it's right down there. Hit that subscribe button. Uh, but for Pat, for Sammy, for Coop, it's Gordo here. It's been Playtesting episode 44. Thanks for tuning in. Toodaloo.